chapters five and six of book one of on generation and corruption by aristotle translated by harold joachim this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards chapter five we must explain one wherein growth differs from coming to be and from alteration and two what is the process of growing and the process of diminishing in each and all of the things that grow and diminish hence our first question is this do these changes differ from one another solely because of a difference in their respective spheres in other words do they differ because while a change from this to that viz from potential to actual substance is coming to be a change in the sphere of magnitude is growth and one in the sphere of quality is alteration both growth and alteration being changes from what is potentially to what is actually magnitude and quality respectively or is there also a difference in the manner of the change since it is evident that whereas neither what is altering nor what is coming to be necessarily changes its place what is growing or diminishing changes its spatial position of necessity though in a different manner from that in which the moving thing does so for that which is being moved changes its place as a whole but the growing thing changes its place like a metal that is being beaten retaining its position as a whole while its parts change their places they change their places but not in the same way as the parts of a revolving globe for the parts of the globe change their places while the whole continues to occupy an equal place but the parts of the growing thing expand over an ever-increasing place and the parts of the diminishing thing contract within an ever-diminishing area it is clear then that these changes the changes of that which is coming to be of that which is altering and of that which is growing differ in manner as well as in sphere but how are we to conceive the sphere of the change which is growth and diminution the sphere of growing and diminishing is believed to be magnitude are we to suppose that body and magnitude come to be out of something which though potentially magnitude and body is actually incorporeal and devoid of magnitude and since this description may be understood in two different ways in which of these two ways are we to apply it to the process of growth is the matter out of which growth takes place one separate and existing alone by itself or two separate but contained in another body perhaps it is impossible for growth to take place in either of these ways for since the matter is separate either a it will occupy no place as if it were a point or b it will be a void i e a non-perceptible body but the first of these alternatives is impossible for since what comes to be out of this incorporeal and sizeless something will always be somewhere it too must be somewhere 
either intrinsically or indirectly and the second alternative necessarily implies that the matter is contained in some other body but if it is to be in another body and yet remain separate in such a way that it is in no sense a part of that body neither a part of its substantial being nor an accident of it many impossibilities will result it is as if we were to suppose that when e g air comes to be out of water the process were due not to a change of the water but to the matter of the air being contained in the water as in a vessel this is impossible for one there is nothing to prevent an indeterminate number of matters being thus contained in the water so that they might come to be actually an indeterminate quantity of air and two we do not in fact see air coming to be out of water in this fashion viz withdrawing out of it and leaving it unchanged it is therefore better to suppose that in all instances of coming to be the matter is inseparable being numerically identical and one with the containing body though isolable from it by definition but the same reasons also forbid us to regard the matter out of which the body comes to be as points or lines the matter is that of which points and lines are limits and it is something that can never exist without quality and without form now it is no doubt true as we have also established elsewhere that one thing comes to be in the unqualified sense out of another thing and further it is true that the efficient cause of its coming to be is either one an actual thing which is the same as the effect either generically for the efficient cause of the coming to be of a hard thing is not a hard thing or specifically as e g fire is the efficient cause of the coming to be of fire or one man of the birth of another or two an actuality nevertheless since there is also a matter out of which corporeal substance itself comes to be corporeal substance however already characterized as such and such a determinate body for there is no such thing as body in general this same matter is also the matter of magnitude and quality being separable from these matters by definition but not separable in place unless qualities are in their turn separable it is evident from the preceding development and discussion of difficulties that growth is not a change out of something which though potentially a magnitude actually possesses no magnitude for if it were the void would exist in separation but we have explained in a former work that this is impossible moreover a change of that kind is not peculiarly distinctive of growth but characterizes coming to be as such or in general for growth is an increase and diminution is a lessening of the magnitude which is there already that indeed is why the growing thing must possess some magnitude hence growth must not be regarded as a process from a matter without magnitude to an actuality of magnitude for this would be a body's coming to be rather than its growth we must therefore come to closer quarters with the subject of our inquiry 
we must grapple with it as it were from its beginning and determine the precise character of the growing and diminishing whose causes we are investigating it is evident one that any and every part of the growing thing has increased and that similarly in diminution every part has become smaller also two that a thing grows by the accession and diminishes by the departure of something hence it must grow by the accession either a of something incorporeal or b of a body now if a it grows by the accession of something incorporeal there will exist separate a void but as we have stated before it is impossible for a matter of magnitude to exist separate if on the other hand b it grows by the accession of a body there will be two bodies that which grows and that which increases it in the same place and this too is impossible but neither is it open to us to say that growth or diminution occurs in the way in which e g air is generated from water for although the volume has then become greater the change will not be growth but a coming to be of the one viz of that into which the change is taking place and a passing away of the contrasted body it is not a growth of either nothing grows in the process unless indeed there be something common to both things to that which is coming to be and to that which passed away e g body and this grows the water has not grown nor has the air but the former has passed away and the latter has come to be and if anything has grown there has been a growth of body yet this too is impossible for our account of growth must preserve the characteristics of that which is growing and diminishing and these characteristics are three one any and every part of the growing magnitude is made bigger e g if flesh grows every particle of the flesh gets bigger two by the accession of something and three in such a way that the growing thing is preserved and persists for whereas a thing does not persist in the process of unqualified coming to be or passing away that which grows or alters persists in its identity through the altering and through the growing or diminishing though the quality in alteration and the size in growth do not remain the same now if the generation of air from water is to be regarded as growth a thing might grow without the accession and without the persistence of anything and diminish without the departure of anything and that which grows need not persist but this characteristic must be preserved for the growth we are discussing has been assumed to be thus characterized one might raise a further difficulty what is that which grows is it that to which something is added if e g a man grows in his shin is it the shin which is greater but not that whereby he grows viz not the food then why have not both grown for when a is added to b both a and b are greater 
as when you mix wine with water for each ingredient is alike increased in volume perhaps the explanation is that the substance of the one remains unchanged but the substance of the other viz of the food does not for indeed even in the mixture of wine and water it is the prevailing ingredient which is said to have increased in volume we say e g that the wine has increased because the whole mixture acts as wine but not as water a similar principle applies also to alteration flesh is said to have been altered if while its character and substance remain some one of its essential properties which was not there before now qualifies it on the other hand that whereby it has been altered may have undergone no change though sometimes it too has been affected the altering agent however and the originative source of the process are in the growing thing and in that which is being altered for the efficient cause is in these no doubt the food which has come in may sometimes expand as well as the body that has consumed it that is so e g if after having come in a food is converted into wind but when it has undergone this change it has passed away and the efficient cause is not in the food we have now developed the difficulties sufficiently and must therefore try to find a solution of the problem our solution must preserve intact the three characteristics of growth that the growing thing persists that it grows by the accession and diminishes by the departure of something and further that every perceptible particle of it has become either larger or smaller we must recognize also a that the growing body is not void and that yet there are not two magnitudes in the same place and b that it does not grow by the accession of something incorporeal two preliminary distinctions will prepare us to grasp the cause of growth we must note one that the organic parts grow by the growth of the tissues for every organ is composed of these as its constituents and two that flesh bone and every such part like every other thing which has its form immersed in matter has a twofold nature for the form as well as the matter is called flesh or bone now that any and every part of the tissue qua form should grow and grow by the accession of something is possible but not that any and every part of the tissue qua matter should do so for we must think of the tissue after the image of flowing water that is measured by one and the same measure particle after particle comes to be and each successive particle is different and it is in this sense that the matter of the flesh grows some flowing out and some flowing in fresh not in the sense that fresh matter exceeds to every particle of it there is however an accession to every part of its figure or form that growth has taken place proportionally is more manifest in the organic parts e g in the hand for there the fact that the matter is distinct from the form is more manifest than in flesh i e than in the tissues that is why there is a greater tendency to suppose that a corpse still possesses flesh and bone than that it still has a hand or an arm
hence in one sense it is true that any and every part of the flesh has grown but in another sense it is false for there has been an accession to every part of the flesh in respect to its form but not in respect to its matter the whole however has become larger and this increase is due a on the one hand to the accession of something which is called food and is said to be contrary to flesh but b on the other hand to the transformation of this food into the same form as that of flesh as if e g moist were to exceed to dry and having exceeded were to be transformed and to become dry for in one sense like grows by like but in another sense unlike grows by unlike one might discuss what must be the character of that whereby a thing grows clearly it must be potentially that which is growing potentially flesh e g if it is flesh that is growing actually therefore it must be other than the growing thing this actual other then has passed away and come to be flesh but it has not been transformed into flesh alone by itself for that would have been a coming to be not a growth on the contrary it is the growing thing which has come to be flesh and grown by the food in what way then has the food been modified by the growing thing perhaps we should say that it has been mixed with it as if one were to pour water into wine and the wine were able to convert the new ingredient into wine and as fire lays hold of the inflammable so the active principle of growth dwelling in the growing thing i e in that which is actually flesh lays hold of an exceeding food which is potentially flesh and converts it into actual flesh the exceeding food therefore must be together with the growing thing for if it were apart from it the change would be a coming to be for it is possible to produce fire by piling logs on to the already burning fire that is growth but when the logs themselves are set on fire that is coming to be quantum in general does not come to be any more than animal which is neither man nor any other of the specific forms of animal what animal in general is in coming to be that quantum in general is in growth but what does come to be in growth is flesh or bone or a hand or arm i e the tissues of these organic parts such things come to be then by the accession not of quantified flesh but of a quantified something in so far as this exceeding food is potentially the double result e g is potentially so much flesh it produces growth for it is bound to become actually both so much and flesh but in so far as it is potentially flesh only it nourishes for it is thus that nutrition and growth differ by their definition that is why a body's nutrition continues so long as it is kept alive even when it is diminishing though not its growth and why nutrition though the same as growth is yet different from it in its actual being for in so far as that which exceeds is potentially so much flesh it tends to increase flesh 
whereas in so far as it is potentially flesh only it is nourishment the form of which we have spoken is a kind of power immersed in matter a duct as it were if then a matter exceeds a matter which is potentially a duct and also potentially possesses determinate quantity the ducts to which it exceeds will become bigger but if it is no longer able to act if it has been weakened by the continued influx of matter just as water continually mixed in greater and greater quantity with wine in the end makes the wine watery and converts it into water then it will cause a diminution of the quantum though still the form persists chapter six in discussing the causes of coming to be we must first investigate the matter i e the so-called elements we must ask whether they really are elements or not i e whether each of them is eternal or whether there is a sense in which they come to be and if they do come to be whether all of them come to be in the same manner reciprocally out of one another or whether one amongst them is something primary hence we must begin by explaining certain preliminary matters about which the statements now current are vague for all the pluralist philosophers those who generate the elements as well as those who generate the bodies that are compounded of the elements make use of dissociation and association and of action and passion now association is combination but the precise meaning of the process we call combining has not been explained again all the monists make use of alteration but without an agent and a patient there cannot be altering any more than there can be dissociating and associating for not only those who postulate a plurality of elements employ their reciprocal action and passion to generate the compounds those who derive things from a single element are equally compelled to introduce acting and in this respect diogenes is right when he argues that unless all things were derived from one reciprocal action and passion could not have occurred the hot thing e g would not be cooled and the cold thing in turn be warmed for heat and cold do not change reciprocally into one another but what changes it is clear is the substratum hence whenever there is action and passion between two things that which underlies them must be a single something no doubt it is not true to say that all things are of this character but it is true of all things between which there is reciprocal action and passion but if we must investigate action passion and combination we must also investigate contact for action and passion in the proper sense of the terms can only occur between things which are such as to touch one another nor can things enter into combination at all unless they have come into a certain kind of contact hence we must give a definite account of these three things of contact combination and acting let us start as follows all things which admit of combination must be capable of reciprocal contact 
and the same is true of any two things of which one acts and the other suffers action in the proper sense of the terms for this reason we must treat of contact first now every term which possesses a variety of meanings includes those various meanings either owing to a mere coincidence of language or owing to a real order of derivation in the different things to which it is applied but though this may be taken to hold of contact as of all such terms it is nevertheless true that contact in the proper sense applies only to things which have position and position belongs only to those things which also have a place for in so far as we attribute contact to the mathematical things we must also attribute place to them whether they exist in separation or in some other fashion assuming therefore that to touch is as we have defined it in a previous work to have the extremes together only those things will touch one another which being separate magnitudes and possessing position have their extremes together and since position belongs only to those things which also have a place while the primary differentiation of place is the above and the below and the similar pairs of opposites all things which touch one another will have weight or lightness either both these qualities or one or the other of them but bodies which are heavy or light are such as to act and suffer action hence it is clear that those things are by nature such as to touch one another which being separate magnitudes have their extremes together and are able to move and be moved by one another the manner in which the mover moves the moved is not always the same on the contrary whereas one kind of mover can only impart motion by being itself moved another kind can do so though remaining itself unmoved clearly therefore we must recognize a corresponding variety in speaking of the acting thing too for the mover is said to act in a sense and the acting thing to impart motion nevertheless there is a difference and we must draw a distinction for not every mover can act if a the term agent is to be used in contrast to patient and b patient is to be applied only to those things whose motion is a qualitative affection i e a quality like white or hot in respect to which they are moved only in the sense that they are altered on the contrary to impart motion is a wider term than to act still so much at any rate is clear the things which are such as to impart motion if that description be interpreted in one sense will touch the things which are such as to be moved by them while they will not touch them if the description be interpreted in a different sense but the disjunctive definition of touching must include and distinguish a contact in general as the relation between two things which having position are such that one is able to impart motion and the other to be moved and b reciprocal contact as the relation between two things one able to impart motion and the other able to be moved in such a way that action and passion are predicable of them 
as a rule no doubt if a touches b b touches a for indeed practically all the movers within our ordinary experience impart motion by being moved in their case what touches inevitably must and also evidently does touch something which reciprocally touches it yet if a moves b it is possible as we sometimes express it for a merely to touch b and that which touches need not touch a something which touches it nevertheless it is commonly supposed that touching must be reciprocal the reason of this belief is that movers which belong to the same kind as the moved impart motion by being moved hence if anything imparts motion without itself being moved it may touch the moved and yet itself be touched by nothing for we say sometimes that the man who grieves us touches us but not that we touch him the account just given may serve to distinguish and define the contact which occurs in the things of nature end of chapter six recording in memory of mitchell edwards